Okay, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Adam, have you survived the accretions yet? I've never heard the word accretions until the past winter <laughs> season, and every other day it's like, the accretions are coming! Uh, I, I try not to pay attention to the latest fads, uh, you know, accretion report, <laughs> ask, ask me about the accretions in five years, then I'll know it's here to stay. Yeah. And five years will probably be five degrees in February every day. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I've paid, I've paid, I've paid far too much attention to fads. Like I, I still remember S club seven songs from like the early <laughs> aughts. It's when was the last time you ever heard anyone mention S club seven. So right now, <laughs> right now. <laughs> even the even the even the S Club Seven members will disavow any knowledge of being a part of S Club Seven. Oh, BTK. Uh, right? This, despite the fact that there is no party like an S Club party. Uh, <laughs> that's that's featuring the accretions. Yeah, yeah. Neither here nor there. Alrighty, Open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5pm as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Ward 1 Councillor Dan Gibson. I was about to say new Ward 1 Councillor Dan Gibson, but he's uh, he's been around for a while, so that would have been a, a grievous error. But uh, Councillor Gibson is going to join us to talk about some of the latest doings from City Council, including the Operations Campus Plan, the Elliott Expansion Plan, and housing. So there's going to be a lot to chew on after 5.30, which is at the bottom of the hour. And before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including 15-minute communities, the new conspiracy theory fad that makes about as much sense as the others. So we will talk about that. But first, the public inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act delivered their report on Friday, just in time for the long weekend. Uh, <laughs> nothing says family day like this 2,000-page, <laughs> five-volume document that even – this is what uh, – one of the funniest takeaways was um, Commissioner Paul uh, Rouleau was saying, like, you know what? I could have used more time. <laughs> I could have used more time, people. <laughs> I have two thousand pages in five volumes, but you know, I could have, I could have got a lot more done if he had given me more time and the power to expand to to extend myself. But, um, long story short, uh, Rollo found that uh, the Emergencies Act use uh, was necessary. That the federal government did meet the threshold. That perhaps is not terribly surprising. Um, a lot of his findings were probably in line with what we heard about, you know, uh, lack of coordination amongst police services, uh, uh, the province of Ontario largely sitting on the bench. Um, it, it seems like uh, this kind of went according to how we thought it was going to go. Yeah, and so did the revived Family Day uh, protests, the revival <laughs> that happened on Parliament Hill, with, probably with the exception of the guy that I saw yelling the anti-Semitic slurs. So, mm -hmm. sounds like there's still probably some failures in policing because that should have been shut down. So, mm -hmm. yeah, what, what, one, definitely one of the main takeaways. And of course, we, you know, in the 12 minute version, we can't talk about all 2000 pages. I wonder if it was like font 18 and double spaced or something. Who knows? <laughs> Not but, on the PDF I read. <laughs> yeah. So... 
no regrets, no regrets from the the, the leaders, right? They, yeah. uh, Tamara Leach, etc. We we all know the names. They they, you know, as stated in the report, they they did a you know bad job communicating, a bad job trying. If they were if they were the leaders, even which I don't, you know, it was a bit more anarchic than that mm-hmm. in terms of how it spiraled out of control. But it just the report pretty much made all parties uh, look bad. And mm. well, particularly the Ontario didn't didn't Ontario get a whole chapter? I can't remember the name of it, but it, it was did, like yeah. Ontario's failures or something like that. Obviously, I'm I'm not even paraphrasing, but I know it was called like well, it wasn't quite Ontario sucks. <laughs> yeah. So they were probably glad that it came out uh, over the Family Day weekend, but of course, uh, with uh, Queens Park being you know back in business this week, uh, it came up, um, mm. and the, the you know deflect deflect. No surprise there, but yeah, that uh, we knew at the time when uh, Doug Ford and Sylvia Jones decided not to go and and uh, testify, let's say, um, or at least give give their opinion or find out what was going on. They said no and claimed privilege that was going to go that way because it's just, just they are so should have been at least directly involved with with what happened, and they they took a pass. They walked away. And of course, the inquiry uh, report called them on it. Mm-hmm. It's unavoidable. Yeah, that one got punted immediately to uh, Paul Calandra, who knows a thing or two about uh, making mm. excuses for the boss. Um, oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, he, he, the, the it, it made the point that essentially Ottawa as a city in Ontario, you know, we kind of get hear this excuse a lot when it comes to like the province imposing, you know, new rules on cities, like good cities are the creature of the province. And that was the the point that uh, Rouleau made that, you know, Ottawa is a creature of the province. And thusly, you know, when policing fails, um, it's up to the province to come in and kind of restore that order. And, you know, there was a lot of interesting things in there about, failure of the chain of command failure of you know being able to delegate authority and um all around and that seems to be like a big piece of the the sort of ontario piece of this is that there was a big portion or there was a big piece of the the kind of like oversight and response apparatus that was missing and and i think rillo also cited specifically that there was a lack of communication between um, the prime minister and the premier of Ontario on this. And, you know, it, it really did, you know, thinking back to the freedom convoy itself, it really did feel like Doug Ford was willing to sit it out, whether that was um, he understood that, you know, there were some people who were perhaps uh, former PC supporters, or he didn't want to rile up people. I mean, there were, a, there weren't as many F Doug Ford flag as, as there were <laughs> F Justin Trudeau flags, mm-hmm. but um, they certainly existed. I certainly saw a few, you know, in this, the sympathy protests uh, heading down to Toronto that one weekend. So whether he wanted to stay above the fray or he thought he could stay above the fray that, that, I mean, the, the, the real, the real shortcoming of this, and Rillo again pointed this out too, that there should be a rule change to say that there's no parliamentary privilege when you're testifying these in front of these committees, um, because that was the the trick that Jones and Ford pulled. It's like, well, it's, it's a federal affair, and we don't have to talk. I'm not sure why I'm doing the voice. It's not necessary. It's superfluous, <laughs> but the the, the 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 whole situation around it, just that 
there and and I think Rollo made this point in the report as well. That there's a big chunk of the investigation that's missing. And he says, if I sound harsh on Ontario, it's because I didn't get their side of the story. And I think that was a big f up on the part of Doug Ford, which was mm-hmm. that he 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 did not give his side of the story. It's like I understand, like maybe you don't want to be in that harsh spotlight, but on the other hand, this is the conclusion you get. He's hard. He's hard on Ontario in this report because he didn't get Ontario's side of the story. So if Doug Ford doesn't like the optics, it's kind of his fault too. Yeah, that's a very conservative move. Yeah, I mean that's that's playbooks. Like the less said, the better. Just stay out of the way. Mm. Forgetting completely that Ontario or Ottawa mm. is an Ontario municipality. Like they they're responsible for it, whether they like it or not. Mm including i would imagine two of the police forces the opp and they probably have some a little bit of jurisdiction at least over the ottawa police just as an overarching thing Mm. they'll probably deny that as well but yeah that's you know the lack of there's that lack of communication there and slowly was on oh cbc i didn't listen slowly Mm. has reappeared he was on the radio this morning i think for everything that happened, he was made a bit of a scapegoat. There is truth. There is truth for to sure. that. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, if there's no one to take the reins, and I would imagine, even if uh, this is the former police chief slowly who left, just as this the whole thing was playing out, I'm not sure where he ended up actually, but he's ended up on CBC this morning anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when you got four sets of of forces of police having jurisdiction and they they're not communicating. So that, you know, in, in some ways it's, it's probably, in, I hate to say this, but maybe a good thing that this has happened and that way they can, they can create structures where they can communicate better or come up with another way to handle what was pretty much unprecedented. And that's another thing too. It was like, even with all of the Intel, it mm. seemed like they didn't know what was coming. It's like, oh, you know, it's, I think a lot of times we slide back into the, it's Canada, mm. it's Canada, you know, they'll just have a little thing rather than overstep the reasonable limits as are you know as are dictated by well by the constitution right you you can protest go ahead and no one's and that's what happened on the weekend like i said other than there was probably other stuff beyond the anti-semitic guy i would imagine so mm-hmm. but i think maybe because of the optics they're just letting it all go uh it's like okay that happened they've gone away oh thank god they didn't you know light off fireworks and honk <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah just they overstepped, and yeah, and the the police and the people who are going to enforce it un- understepped. Understepped is that even a word? Yeah. But at least, and they were making comparisons to, and when I say they, I mean the, the protesters. Like, oh, this is just like the War Measures Act. It's not because in 1970, I guess when Trudeau Senior called the War Measures Act, that was the military that came. Yeah. The military aren't going to mess around. The military aren't going to like give you any leeway. They're going to shut it down. Yeah. So this is radically different from that, and they should take heart in that because if you know if that was the situation, right? It would have it would have probably been far worse. I'm not saying that the Canadian military was going to go in and shoot him up, but though I mean that was that was considered a dark time in Canadian history, right? For sure, and I mean so there was actual, more like yeah, I was going to say there was actual like dead bodies in mm-hmm. during the FLQ yeah. crisis. That was insurrection. Yeah. Whereas this is more as like <laughs> January sixth time. It was, I mean, it was also, it wasn't even that, I, w- I wouldn't even say it wasn't even that, it was like squatting, it was like really aggressive squatting, um, and, and I think- there, Bush party like, gone bad, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I think it's understandable that, you know, that the thing could have turned to violence. Um, but uh, the big part of this, and Rilo pointed this out too, is just it seemed like police were stymied. And, uh, you know, who, who takes the blame for that? Was it like Chief Slowly's? Was it the provinces? Um, was it, you know, Jim Watson's office? Uh, you know, that the, the, there, there was, there's kind of a lot here to peel back. Um, and I think one of the things Rilo pointed out really well is that there were multiple opportunities where people just weren't able to read the tea leaves property whether that was like in advance as the convoy was you know in motion heading to ottawa all the stuff on social media the organizing on social media um you know police not understanding that they were serious that this was not going to be a one weekend thing to the fact that there wasn't any tickets handed out for that entire first week that it was kind of just like a lawless zone had been established and kind of once you let in in that kind of situation and i learned this from my hotel days um when it comes to like managing like a, a busy saturday night with a lot of you know parties and things like you claim you 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 lock it down early because if you don't lock it down early, it gets away from you very, very, very fast. Um, and, you know, the, obviously matters of scale, but yeah. uh, the, the same rules apply. Nobody was ticketed for the first week. And it's not like there wasn't things you couldn't ticket them on. Trucks were running day and night. Jerry cans were being moved around on wagons. There were open fires. Um you know, there was high, there was some highly ticketable stuff going on, mm. <laughs> and uh, you know, just they let it go for the first week, and and then you know by then the the whole thing has gotten away from you. I think one of the interesting things um, about that that Rouleau pointed to in terms of like looking forward is like we have to get our stuff together about social media. We have to be able to like interpret these things, understand them, analyze them and see where real threats pop up and i think that's get, getting to your point about well this is canada you know who could you know we don't do january 6 stuff here well we kind of do um mm-hmm. in, in a granted in a canadian way but we're not invulnerable to this stuff and in so much as like americans have sort of realized too late just how vulnerable they are to misinformation disinformation um i think Rouleau's trying to say like hey you know we are too, and we need to figure out how to start dealing with this. Yeah, and judging by how many American flags and Trump flags, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of let's call it political confusion going on with this group. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not surprising that it it leans that way. And you know, kind of speaking to that, Trudeau's uh, fringe minority comments were brought up, and he 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 did apologize for that. Right, mm-hmm. he, he said, "Look, you know, I." I you know, my language probably wasn't the best in in describing that. Even though, I mean, I guess I'm allowed to say that it's fairly true. <laughs> mm. But you know, nothing from Polyev after his donut stunt. You know, he's directly embedded with those folks. Mm. Uh, he, he's never going to apologize. He's trying to make it all about true. You know, Trudeau somehow put some twist on it about oh, it's the economy. You know, it's it's Trudeau's fault that people are mad about inflation. It's like you're you're conflating a bunch of things that aren't necessarily related to get a soundbite off from the podium mm. and bizarrely and i guess this kind of speaks we speaks sort of to topic too <laughs> is the uh, is the links that people were trying to create conspiracy wise with rouleau being married to justin's justin trudeau's aunt or something and mm. i saw a lot of mocking of these comments but it was it was one, you know, one of those tweets that gets out of hand. It's like, you know, 
that he's actually related to the Tr Trudeau, and so he must be a liberal, and you know, trying to yeah you know, throw some water on the two thousand page report. It's like no, first you know, not true, and it it'll come up now with a disclaimer, right? It's like no, this isn't actually true, but it speaks to everything that fueled the damn thing in the first place, right? Right. It's like the the what the tweets going around in the last day, the one about uh, you know Biden falling down the back of the stairs, leaving the plane when it came into Poland. It's clearly not uh, President Biden because President Biden doesn't carry his own bags and doesn't leave out of the back of the plane. So, mm. uh, but yeah, these things take off a life of their own. Kind of like this whole idea that 15-minute <laughs> cities are a plan to keep you forever locked down in a climate, I don't know, a climate barricade or something. But it, this, is, this is kind of interesting. and it's, it, it, it makes a good pairing with the the public inquiry act being released because it's another thing that you know it on the surface doesn't make a lot of sense um you i think people who listen to the show have probably heard you know especially mike schreiner who, who talks about a lot the 15 minute communities this idea that all of your daily needs should be within a 15 minute walk or bike ride of where you live so you create these communities it's it's an urban planning situation where you live live in a community and you can walk or ride your bike a uh, short distance where you can find groceries, where you can find amenities, um, where you can find schools even. Um, and, you know, a lot of our urban planning since the post-war period has been very much built around 15 minutes in your car as a way to get around. That is until... And this is a weird confluence of things, but basically in Oxford in England, the England Oxford, not Oxford County down 401, um, is trying to dissuade people from driving their cars in, down certain streets because Oxford is, is an old town and predated the car by several hundred years. So congestion happens very, very easily in Oxford. So they're trying to dissuade people from driving their cars down certain streets um but make to make them more passable for buses and ambulance and things well haven't hasn't that sent some people off of the deep end so <laughs> that when edmonton came out with this document about how they could start urban planning and creating 15 minute neighborhoods in edmonton so many people who believe in conspiracies including uh some of the great luminaries of, of conspiracy culture like jordan peterson and chris guy uh, Chris Guy was actually at a protest in Edmonton live and in person where, to, to his credit, uh, Sean Bull, who is one of the senior planners in Edmonton, um, literally swore on a Bible that he wasn't planning on locking down people in their neighborhoods. Um, so mad respect for Sean Bull. But uh, it seems that 15 minutes, 15 minute communities are the new enemy and um it's 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 very confusing to talk about now that I'm talking about it. <laughs> I did, uh, yeah, I didn't. It's I keep laughing because I I didn't have uh, urbanism as the next thing on the the conspiracy <laughs> card like at all, not at all. Yeah, and this just explode. I mean, it seems to have exploded in the past couple of weeks, but I guess the rumblings began in December, and that protest you were talking about in Oxford was in. January and of mm. course I follow the the UK feeds and again they the the first person I saw that they talked to was was a he said he was a white supremacist but he's like oh but I'm not really here to protest that today we're actually protesting this um 15 minute cities we don't like it and I'm like what the hell what the actual hell 
Uh, <laughs> and Oxford is one of those old towns. Most cities were uh, 15 minute cities pre car. Yeah. You know, this is only yeah. 100, 100, if you even Guelph, right? This is a, this is a hundred year arc. Well, you're and in the ward. Ward the the ward was a 15 minute community. Oh yeah, and in some where I am, yeah, and so, and in some ways it still is. Yeah, in fact, it's getting revived a little bit as a 15 minute, 10 minute. In some cases, five. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yet the cars keep coming again. Another topic, right? <laughs> but but yeah, so London has had congestion charges for a lot of years. Who was the mayor? It was living. I can't remember who the mayor. many many years ago. London instituted congestion charges. Mm-hmm. So in London, UK, not London, Ontario, you can drive, which is in Oxford <laughs> County, which has a Thames River. Uh, That's right. You can drive, but the, if you go into the core, you have to pay. And what was mm-hmm. going to happen in Oxford was like, if you're in in the core, uh, we, we're going to charge you because you know you actually need to keep your car out of there for the reasons you explained. Now you can. There are some concerns with this, and it's urbanist concerns about well, my business. We've seen this in Guelph too, when streets are closed and business tends to go down in the core, which is you know a balance needs to be created there. Mm. But has that got and it because the World Economic Forum chimed in on this, mm-hmm. and Jordan Peterson chimed in on this, and Brett Wilson, you know. I don't know if I would ever make a business deal with Dragon Brett Wilson because you know can't tell Canterbury, which I think was the map he used. Yeah, <laughs> apart from Edmonton, and I yeah. think he's from the West too, right? I don't know. Oh don't yeah, know he's he's based in Alberta. Yeah, yeah, he's based in Alberta. So just retweet whatever. Same with Theo Fleury. I mean, you know, name the names. They jump on this, and then you know the agitation begins and i can completely understand do you remember when it was the left that had concerns about the world economic forum <laughs> at the turn of the millennia there where it was like you know the 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 wto and the world economic forum is marching like oh yeah no. battle of seattle man yeah the battle of seattle right remember these days it's flipped like it's completely flipped on its head mm-hmm. so I understand, and i understand why people have concerns about the world economic forum but i what i i don't like the surveillance angle on this too is well, it's not weird but it's like you know your your phone is a surveillance device mm-hmm. being a conspiracy theorist this is a fact your mm-hmm. phone knows you your phone knows you better than some people that know you mm-hmm. yet they're worried about well i know if i pass through the if i pass through the congestion zone then they're gonna you know they're gonna they're gonna keep a record of me mm-hmm. it's like that's kind of already happening anytime you turn your smartphone on so, right you know, I went into conspiracy territory there, but I'm just saying it's like, <laughs> no, you're, you're not about this, but actually this is the problem. No, you're not wrong. If you've ever bought anything on a device from the Apple store, the, the, the Android store, um, yeah, you're, you're probably, you're tagged for life. Um, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the thing too is the, the Canadian side of this too. You have Chris Sky, who's paradoxically oh. running for Toronto, even though he has like 1200 separate court actions, you know, <laughs> it's, just crazy but who is chris guy well he's a conspiracy theorist and you know anti-vax and all that stuff but he's also the vice president of his father's development corporation which seems to specialize in like enclosed communities and mcmansions so you know when he's getting out there and ranting and raving of 15 minute communities it's in chris guy's i mean i'm not saying this is why he's doing it i mean who knows why chris guy does it the way he does but it's in his business interest not to have 15 minute communities because the company he is vice president of because it's his father's company 
doesn't specialize in making 15 minute communities as as developers so it's it's kind of crazy from that point of view too but yeah the whole thing about the world economic forum which is kind of behind on this because like as you know lefties and environmental types have been talking about 15 minute communities for years and this seems to be the way it's going because you know uh the story this week about um four four day work weeks and how that's been a big success in the uk um with with several pilot projects there that you know number of companies are holding on to it that you know 15 dollar an hour minimum wage is another thing that used to be like oh yeah we're gonna pay 15 dollars for minimum wage um followed by hand gesture you know these things Hmm. that lefties come up with 10 years ago are now like standard practice now um so i mean that boggles my mind to begin with but the other thing too is like it's there seems to be this idea in the conspiracy community we're going to take something that's like benign and something that's sort of like in the best interest of people and turn it into the end of the world. You can sort of see that with something like mask wearing or vac- or taking a vaccine or think, you know, something like 15 minute communities or something like, ch- you know, childhood inoculation programs or, or whatever it is. It's it's the worst thing that could ever happen. And then it's 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 not like it goes away. It's just that they move on to something else, too. And I think that's. This is kind of another example of this. You talked about how it's not on the bingo card. Of course it isn't on the bingo card, because who would have guessed? But, I mean, (laughs) this is the thing this week. Next week, it's going to be something else, and we're going to have no idea what it is. But slowly but surely, each time they glom onto something, it's an erosion of a little bit of trust. So the next time somebody, whether it's at our city council, whether it's our MPP, whoever it is, gets up and talks about 15-minute communities, it's that much tainted. That much more tainted because everyone's heard about somebody somewhere making a hullabaloo out of 15 minute communities and now they're suspicious of it yeah but none of them have, have seen the explanation of what it is it's like true what's but being said is yeah it's like do you really want to sit in your car for an hour commute both ways this is what they're just trying to get people out of their cars as much they're not saying don't drive at all but it's like get out you know get out get out of your car because you're wasting your life Mm-hmm. is sort of a praise on that. And I'd, I'd heard about this before because <laughs> people know this, that urbanism is a bit of a hobby of mine. So, <laughs> and following these things. So uh, mm-hmm. it's an idea that makes a lot of sense. But of course, once it's like, it's labeled as it's socialism and they're mm-hmm. going to monitor our carbon footprint. You know, mm-hmm. we, we're going to lose the freedom to drive our F-150s, uh, you know, to the shortstop. Like that's, that's not it at all. If you mm-hmm. want to be an idiot and do those things, you can, uh but it, it, and that that's your choice but yeah it, it leans it leans right into the whole the overarching i love oil and gas true thing, right it's true. like i just yeah. you don't touch my carbon footprint i should be able to drive where i want i should be able to pay whatever it is now a liter for fuel and and drive all over the place hmm. and this theory doesn't even doesn't even say that it's suggesting that's like you know <laughs> let, let's build a community that you can that people can work with but that anything that leads that i think you know the key precepts are like ecology and solidarity so immediately that just deeks left yeah where it's like we're actually trying to do you a favor here for your health for the environment for you know all good things and yet it becomes about what jordan peterson thinks about you see you see it's all part of the big plan jordan peterson of course not an urban planner at all not even remotely He's not even a good psychiatrist or psychologist, right? Well, that's a topic for another day. Somewhat um, argued. <laughs> uh, <my> well, we're... 
<laughs> We're going to do you a favor now and take a break. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And that was number nine on the current CFRU chart. The band is Boyhood. The album is called My Dread. And that song was called Stranger. Fresh beats. Fresh. <laughs> we were just talking about meat. Uh, and all meat diets. Oh, fresh yeah. beats, I said, but anyway. Oh, <laughs> my bad. Like, I think I said BTK off the top and I meant BTS. So, correction on the fly. All right. We'll, we'll fix it in post. Um, speaking of fixing things, uh, our city council is very busy trying to fix things and do new things. And we like to stop every once in a while and talk to one of our city councilors about what's going on. So uh, Dan Gibson drew the short straw this week, <laughs> and uh, he's the war- one of the Ward 1 city councilors. Uh, and we invited him on to talk about a very busy couple of weeks of council this month. Uh, with the new plan for the operations campus, uh, strategic planning stuff going on. Coming up at this week's council meeting, it's going to be the pledge. Council will have to endorse the pledge to build all those houses that the province is looking for in the next 10 years. Plus, there's a plan to add 29 beds to the Elliott, and there's some intricacies there that are going to be interesting. So we have all this stuff to talk about with Dan Gibson, and uh, we're going to talk about it right now. Here's our interview with Dan Gibson starting right now. Okay, Dan Gibson, thank you so much for joining me today. Nice to chat with you again, Adam. Let's talk a bit about the term so far. How are you feeling about sure. um, you know, how, how things have been going, being a, a council veteran yourself? How are, just t- how's, how's it feeling? according to how you're taking the temperature. Yeah, sure. Uh, temperature's good. Um, I think the the team, I call it a team, but we seem quite collaborative. Uh, we have differences of opinion, which is healthy. But um, uh, by in general, I think most members of council are, um, if not all, are showing for good reason why they're there, uh, speaking on behalf of their constituents and um, having good dialogue. So I feel very, I feel very comfortable with the group. I don't feel like there's the uh, gotcha moment waiting around every corner that I've have felt in the past. <laughs> but uh, it is a um, a collegial group, and I think that we're all intending to uh, work together. So this this is it feels good. Uh, well, let's get into some actual issues then. Uh, at committee a couple of weeks ago, the the new look for the operations campus came forward. I sure. I think it's safe to say you've always kind of been uh the most skeptical about this project so um just i mean just from your point of view now having watched it evolve over the last three or four years i guess um i i guess just top level you know how how are you feeling about how that's sort of come along yeah sure uh maybe i should 
back up a little bit. I've never been an opponent of the uh, fair, operations campus. The, the issue that I've always had is being um, just being a healthy critic mm. and getting my questions answered. Uh, and ultimately, for me, it, it's not about what it intends to do or how it intends to function. It's more about the pace and the process by which we're going to get there. The pace that the city is on, and I campaigned on this, and so it's no... There's no uh, surprise to anybody, but the pace in which the city is trying to um, redevelop and rebuild and expand, like city building projects as well as re-establish re, um, our infrastructure, is just, um, I'm not sure the general public understand how hard city council and staff are pushing to see uh, city building projects attained, as well as trying to um, catch up on infrastructure deficits. I've, I've coined it many times, we cannot a tax and borrow 50 years worth of city building over a period of 10 years. I don't believe it's fair to the um, to the current housing household generation, people who are, you know, doubling down on having to pay mortgages as well as taxes, as well as children's programming. I don't believe it's um, an affordable approach to the, the sort of the current generation of, of homeowner or quote unquote taxpayers. Um, but uh, so my, my goal has always been to uh, understand the pace and quite frankly, when I get a sense of the pace, I'm generally trying to slow things down. But I'm not an opponent. I just mm. want to slow things down, spread it out over a longer period of time. Uh, fair enough. And and I think um, I think one of the things you were trying to get at in terms of the transparency piece was like trying to get staff to put a number on it. And yes. as a as an observer watching that kind of back and forth, the the the, the tabletop tennis of uh, can you give us a number? Well, we don't want to give you a number because it's still in in the ether. I guess how how important is it for you to to, or f I guess from your point of view as representing you know Ward yeah, One, sure. how how important is it to put a number on it, even at this stage? Yeah, no problem. So maybe I'll I'll start with a premise a premise here that this is no criticism of staff. Right. I believe their answers are correct. However, uh, that being said, we weren't really given a choice. Right, so we are given a one option to decide: do <laughs> do you want to move forward with this pro process or not? But what is the option if we don't? That option wasn't presented to us. Right. So our our approach, as it stands, is to um, develop the um, central transit hub for housing and warehousing and servicing the uh, one day all the electric buses, and then the rest of our operations: parks, operations, um, winter winter snow removal. Uh, the salt uh, storage facility, everything else that goes associated with our operations is likely going to stay in its current residence or move slightly around. But most of those facilities are going to be refurbished or, or yeah, refurbished over the next uh, decade. The question that I had to staff was, mm. um, does, the, does this approach, the approach that they presented to us, the central operations hub for transit and then everyone else staying kind of put or moving around a little bit, does that cost more or does that cost less? And they didn't know how to answer it. Right. So, um, you know, the first is the cost. The second is the pace. So I, I'm just trying to um, seek out those answers so that I'm informed in six months time when the next gate is, is here, I'm informed of what I of, truly informed of why I made the decision I made. How difficult is that then? Because it, it feels like, and I may get to this question in a second, but um, you're, you're trying, it, it can almost be, I think, taken as probably a lot for even new members of council to, to, to follow along with too. But, you know, it's the, you've kind of made it clear the problem isn't the project. The problem is, I guess, the information 
delivery apparatus, right? There are there have always been a lot of unanswered questions with this. Yeah, and and I'm looking at the 10-year capital uh, envelope of of funding that staff have said repeated in budgets that there's numerous unfunded capital projects that have yet to be um, determined how we're going to pay for them. And between you and me, read between the lines, that's taxes or help from upper levels of government. And so when I'm looking at uh, 5% tax increases, uh, an infrastructure levy that's no longer temporary but permanent, um, and I'm looking at unfunded capital projects in our in our budget, where, where do we think we're going to come up with this money from? Mm. And it's just... It, I have said this countless times in the last two years. If we don't get a grasp on the speed and pace at which we are undertaking these big projects, you can expect five to five to six percent tax increases for the next decade, mm-hmm. because we simply are we've simply said yes to everything, and we haven't looked at a modest pace to doing it. But here's the question then, um, and and this kind of gets into the the topic at next week's um, regular meeting about the expansion of the Elliot. Because there's yes. another example where um, we, we kind of have funding from the upper level of government. In kind of yes. the same way with the, the, the new bus barn for the electrified fleet, fleet, where we have money from the federal government. You have these projects that are kind of partially paid for by upper levels of government, but they also depend on a significant financial investment or incentive from the city, too. So yes. Has has does it not feel like we're being painted into a corner? It's like we want, if we want these projects, we have to sort of take on <laughs> burdens ourselves, or otherwise these projects yeah. go away. Uh, yes, Adam, but our agenda is too big, right? So when these opportunities come up to match funding for projects like the Elliot, like the hospital, hopefully one day, when those opportunities come up from for loves of government, our own agenda is so large that there's no margin to accommodate new spending there's no margin to it well there is a margin it's five and six percent tax increases so uh i'm not going to begrudge the elliot for the opportunity that presents itself to us that that's something that we absolutely have to um take on however it's our own citywide agenda of of sort of city building expansions as well as uh trying to renew our infrastructure and i'll I'll go back to the infrastructure renewal levy a little bit because there's Mm. there's been lots of talk about cuts and things like that to that to that file as well Mm. but you know when we passed the one percent city infrastructure renewal levy it quickly got partitioned into um it quickly got partitioned into a number of things but part of that was city building so they took the one percent was supposed to be infrastructure renewal levy and they they take i think they took 10 to 15 percent of it and they moved it over to city building so now it's funding new projects when Mm. it was justified to the public at the beginning of we got to fix these roads and bridges First, that's why we're collecting the tax, and now we've partitioned it to include new projects as well, which I, I just think is, from a transparency perspective, is is another misstep. Is I guess is part of that the sort of the gray sort of hazy line between what counts as city building and what counts as infrastructure, because something like the the main library project could be yes. seen as as either. Um, you know, creating a new main branch to accommodate the growth in the city. Um, but at the same time, it is a, a much bigger main building and could, you know, understandably be counted as city building. Okay, I'm not going to revisit the library conversation. No, I wasn't asking. I'm just I'll using it as an example. This, yeah, I'll say this though. Yeah, uh, the infrastructural renewal levy 
is intended to replace the existing library. Mm -hmm. Development charges or community benefit charges are intended to cover the expansion or growth of the library. Everything else is city building. <laughs> so mm -hmm. the, the $20 or $30 million on top of what was the existing building and the expansion of through community development charges, mm -hmm. everything else on top of that is city building. And that's mm -hmm. what the infrastructure levy is now helping to go pay for as well. Well, right. it's not. We've added a special levy just for the library. <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting at that, you know, some of these projects have sort of like mixed, sort of mixed goals too. And, and uh, let, let me ask you about this way. Um, a lot of this stuff, you know, we can make the argument it's kind of been done to ourselves. Like, you know, Dominique will we'll talk all the time about how when her kids were little, that's when she was sold at the South End Rec Center was coming. That's 10, 15 years ago. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think I think a lot of people would understand your point of view about the pace. But on the other hand, we, we've had a sort of lack of pace the last 20 years when it comes yeah. a lot to a lot of these projects, too, that have painted us further into the corner. I agree. A lot of delay and a lot of uh, a lot of um, missteps have have come along. I won't. I won't deny that the South End Rec Center is something that absolutely has been owing to that community for uh, 15 years now. Um, it's become a bigger file for me, even though I'm not a Ward Six counselor. I'm still very passionate about getting that that Rec Center built, simply because um, I know how sport infrastructure, how lacking we are in sport infrastructure in the city, and how right. much our, our youth minor sports are are venturing outside of our city to to get uh, to get facilities. So it's something that we absolutely have to be getting built. People may not be aware. Um, one of the many hats you wear is uh, the coach hat. So, uh, for for minor league baseball, or not minor league baseball, sure. but you know, uh, little league baseball. Um, but could you like is is that an experience you've had with going to, to you know tournaments here in your hometown? That you know, just for for baseball, for, you know, people think, well, there's baseball diamonds everywhere. So, you know, what, do we have a, a dearth of, of baseball diamonds, but you know, you're, you're kind of making the point that, you know, if we want to be kind of a, an epicenter for, you know, youth sport that w we are, we are kind of behind in terms of that development. Yeah, we, we, we travel. So my, both my boys play travel baseball and we travel to other centers and, um, I, I'm not. I'm not running down uh, Guelph's uh, sport infrastructure. What sure. I'm saying is that um, we have to prioritize, and we have to we have to through the strategic plan that we're going through right now. One of my big goals is to get sport infrastructure back on our our, our radar mm. in terms of um, sport fields. You know, we play. We the city uh, took over for Guelph soccer a few years ago. The Guelph um, Sports Dome mm -hmm. behind Centennial Arena, and that is one of the most used and well functioning city facilities I can think of. Um, and I, I just keep coming back to when I speak to the youth sport associations in town, we could easily we could easily program two to three more of those mm. uh, on a cost recovery basis for the city. Um, uh, every every year we could we could be uh, utilizing those facilities and a lot of these other communities that are seeing a lot of kids going back into sport after COVID are you're seeing a lot of new infrastructure being built to support all the new um, registrations that are coming in. Soccer is one of the fastest growing sports in Canada. Still, uh, rugby and Guelph is one of the fastest growing sports. Basketball keeps taking off. You know, baseball and hockey are always your 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 sort of your big ones, but there's um, there's a continual increase in youth in youth sport and i've i've said this many times around the horseshoe it's not for everyone like athletics is not for everyone but 
um, athletics teaches a lot of lessons that, you know, other, other aspects of life do as well. But when we're building resiliency into our kids, that sort of daily failure, victory, failure, win, failure, win, you mm. build resilience into your youth, you end up res- with resilient teenagers, you end up with resilient adults. I think we can all agree um, resiliency is something that we in general need from a mental health perspective, being able to overcome small obstacles in life. Right. Those are things that are really taught well through sport. I've recognized that just seeing my own kids go through sports. So mm-hmm. it's something that I am passionate about. And on, I believe later on in March, you may be seeing a town hall notice from me at City Hall. We're looking to grab, grab the, the larger um, body of youth sport associations in town, sport associations in general in town. And we're discussing the formation of a youth um, sport council in the city, something that we don't have. So there's there's friends for everything. There's friends of the public <laughs> library. There's the trails yeah. friends. There's the GCAT. There's <gasps> the friends of everything. But for some reason, all of our sport associations seem to advocate individually, whereby um, we're going to see if we can bring them together and create a united voice for, uh, for in- sport infrastructure in the city. I like that. And thank you for the scoop. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to turn to housing for a minute because uh, you, you unfortunately cast yourself again as the cold water dumping guy um, talking <laughs> talking a lot about, you know, it, it takes time to build up that secondary rental market, which will help bring housing prices down. And I, I think so you know what I'm talking about. I know precisely what you're talking about. I think yes. a lot of people do if, if they, they, they want to just focus on sort of the intellectual side of the argument. But yes. this is housing. This is personal and, you know, there are a lot of people who are like asking for help right now. And I think a lot of your colleagues are responding to that. And I, I guess, is it difficult right now to try and be in that position? Because I'm sure you get it a lot from constituents about the price of housing, the availability of housing. Yeah, of and, of you know, that's that stuff doesn't grow on trees. And, you know, yeah. as, as a counselor, you have very few, as do your colleagues, levers to actually make that happen. Yeah, I agree. So when I I mentioned the comment the other uh, the other week about it's not seeing the forest and not focusing on this one tree, right? Um, in the same meeting, we heard councillors talk about a gateway to our downtown, setting the streetscape appropriately, um, really uh, activating the lower end of Wyndham Street in Wellington and creating a, a beautiful corridor. And then they turned and say, "Well, we want it for we want it on the cheap. Like we want it for <laughs> we want affordable housing in that thing." And it was just, it was a dichotomy of messages. I'm not against affordable housing. I think everyone knows that. That's a silly uh, assertion if it's out there. But in this particular instance, we are literally looking at what will be um, like another tri-car building. It'll be a really high-end, a well-built, um, uh, you know, uh, lu- almost like a luxury level condo in the at the gates of our downtown. Mm-hmm. And... We're wondering why the units aren't going to be, you know, $200,000. And it's just the the practicality of the meeting to me was a struggle. Mm. Um, If we create housing anywhere on the spectrum, it opens up housing down of downstream of the spectrum. So if we have um, luxury level condos coming online, you're going to have people moving up into those condos and sort of, leaving the house that they're in behind and that house becomes available and the house behind that becomes available and the house behind that becomes available. And then eventually you get to a place where you've got a, you've got a landlord out there and they can't seem to find someone to pay them $2,200 a month for a one bedroom apartment in the city. They've got to drop their price because all of a sudden they don't have a pool of tenants that are just clamoring for that unit. 
Mm-hmm. That's the type of that's the type of secondary market that I'm talking about. It's not hard to achieve. Mm-hmm. We just need we just need to get these houses built. Now, you know, credit to council. We don't say no very often. Mm-hmm. We, like I can count on one hand how many times in the last few years we've we've turned and rejected a proposal. Right. Oftentimes it goes to the tribunal and it gets settled there. But um, you know, give I'm not I'm not criticizing council here, but what I'm saying is is that the priority at this point is to make the pie bigger. Mm-hmm. Is, is to make the pie bigger because you know, unbeknownst to many people, Guelph is not an island unto itself, and there are many people outside of Guelph that really want to move here, and they have housing, right? Mm-hmm. So they have housing where they live, and they want to come here and get housing. So we need to accommodate all aspects of the housing spectrum, um, and, and, and that was just something that dawned on me. Sorry, the dogs right. here playing. With the toy. <laughs> Um, it's just like that commercial. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing I'm, I'm, I, I, I guess I was trying to get at was that there's, there's a dichotomy. Like, and what, what we're talking about is something that could take years. And there's a crisis here now. And yes, it, it's just, it's. I think what it's, it's hard for people to hear that there may not be solutions for years. And I, and I guess how do we deal with that piece of it? Because people are, are, are yeah. looking so for housing I'll- solutions now. I'll, I'll point to the bigger picture now and I'll point to the province and, right. you know, like it or leave it, they are intent on getting more homes built in this province. Um, you know, the, the, un, the unsaid thing is that it's going to draw down municipal reserves. We are going to have to use our reserves to help fund um, a lot of this development. Now, the, the premier has said, I've heard him say specifically that provided the municipalities allow us to audit the, the shortfalls, we will cover the shortfalls. The province has a big surplus right now. So, um, the housing is coming. The developers know the housing is coming. I think the bigger, the, the other question that has to happen though is where are the trades coming from? Where are the materials coming from? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we're staffing up as a city. We're preparing for uh, this sort of windfall of, of housing developments, which we're excited about. Um, but the, 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 the trades, like how fast can the trade, the trade unions and the trade workforce in Ontario get the houses built? That's, that's another question. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think we're. I think once we get through this uncertainty around inflation, and we're going to start seeing the Bank of Canada rates hopefully come down, but not before inflation is solved. I'm crossing my fingers. We're going to see a real <laughs> boon in. Uh, we're going to see a real boon in in economic growth. I'm sure of it because the the housing market alone will thrust a lot of economic drive in the next uh, in the next couple of years. So are are you? Um ready i guess you're not really signing the pledge but you know endorsing the pledge that that's coming to council on on tuesday that we will be following the city's or the province's plan to get those two thousand units a year built um so are, are you looking forward to you know raising your hand and, and affirming that that's something we can get done and are you confident that we can get that get those two thousand new units a year built i'm absolutely going to be putting my hand up and, and saying yes to that we have to get it done uh, like or like it or leave it on the policy front. It's something that as as a goal we have to shoot for. I think uh, much like a lot of the provincial policy that we're seeing, um, when the when the government of Ontario wants, uh, I always use the football analogy, but when the government of Ontario wants twenty wants ten yards, they usually pitch twenty. Mm-hmm. So they want ten yards. They pitch twenty. They put as the premier likes to say, put some water in his wine. And he retreats back to retreat back to only gaining twelve yards, right? But he's but the province is still ahead of where they want to be. So I think we're going to make the pledge for one point five million homes. I think if we end up around eight or nine hundred thousand homes, like or a, th- or a million homes, that's that's terrific. 
but without the goal, without the common vision, you, you really can't have a goal. So um, yeah, I'll be absolutely voting in favor and, and looking to endorse that pledge. You might have the wrong Ford brother with the football metaphor though. <laughs> oh, good one. Good one. Didn't think of that. <laughs> well, before we, we wrap up, uh, just, we have maybe like a minute left in, in the timing here. Um, can you, given everything we've talked about, um and what's going on with the strategic planning process right now i, I guess are what, what are your feelings about looking to the next four years of council and you know is um given some of the concerns you've outlined about the i guess the the size of of the endeavors that um are, are kind of going on right now is should this be like maybe a yeah. more modest strategic plan are you thinking well, I'll say this too, and speaking not on behalf of my councilmates and definitely not for them, but just how I'm reading the room. I think a lot of councillors saw this latest budget as uh, not theirs, especially mm. the new councillors. They they kind of perceived this budget as being not their budget, so they approved it, they endorsed it, they let it go for four and a half percent or something like that. Mm. I think when the next budget comes in, though, and they realize it is their budget, and they and they are responsible for it, I think you'll see a lot more. Um, Ernst and desire to sort of look at a longer term plan for affordability. Mm. Um, if we pass a budget that's 5% over, over four years, like 5% each year before you're talking about telling people, listen, your taxes are going up 20% in the next four years alone. Mm. And they've already gone up nine in the mm. last two. Mm. So like when you're telling them that, I think a lot of counselors are going to want to look at, Oh, how do we make this more affordable? How do we spread this out a little bit more? Something that I've been asking and, advocating for for years and i'll point out on the infrastructure reserve levy because there's been a lot of talk about cuts which i i take personally in the last since 2017 the city of guelph has increased its infrastructure funding by 11.1 million dollars per year through the dedicated infrastructure levy and in 2023 alone the tax funded transfer to the infrastructure renewal reserve which includes the amount collected under the dedicated infrastructure levy was $27.8 million. Mm -hmm. There was no cuts to infrastructure in the last, in the last budget. I want, I want to lay that completely clear. There were no cuts to infrastructure in the last budget. My accomplishment at budget was simply to slow down the pace of the increases. That's all it was. We did not cut into the infrastructure resident rule levy at all. And I, I think that's like, like there's been words of cuts at, at mm. council. I just want to make sure I'm clear about that. Okay. Uh, it's important that's from, to end on a, that's from staff too. That's from finance staff. Okay, well, important to end on a clear note and uh, we will leave it there. So Dan Gibson, thank you so much for all your time today. It's appreciated. Adam, always a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Once again, that was Dan Gibson and uh, that was all, that was a lot. I appreciate that. That was a lot for for maybe our listeners to take in anyway oh can always listen again you can always yes you could always listen again that's an excellent point um because that's the end of the show so we hope you liked it and you can listen to us again you can visit our website at opensourcesguelph.com you can find us on facebook at open sources newswire and we're on twitter at os underscore guelph and like we said, if you want to listen to the show again, you can certainly do that. You can download it from our website every Monday. You can get it through the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Twitter, Facebook, and Mastodon, and you might see me walking around my 15-minute neighborhood. Just say hi. 
and uh, <laughs> and wag your finger when you do and blame Scotty. Your, oh, for all it's, that. That, it's that guy. Oh my God, he got out of his bunker. Uh, and if you're tuning in on the FM right now in our normal time, you can listen to Turtle Island Underground after we close. You should. Yes, yes, you should. And you can also listen to all the great programming that you can find here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca. That's Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As for the two of us, we shall return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources Guelph. And we will, of course, see you then and there.